Pilot Boys in the building. Welcome to the Pilot Boys podcast, where you'll get the real on all things sports, music, and pop culture. I am Mecca Don, here with my co-host V. Excited for today's show. Yeah, today is January 16th, 2020. We're already more than halfway through the month, V. Wow, this this year is flying by. Already. Thank you guys for tuning in. I know you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here with us. Today we have a packed show. We will talk to Fox Sports anchor and host Mike Hill about sports journalism and social media, life with a pop culture celebrity significant other, advice for the youth, and more. We will also catch up with celebrity media personality and LSU fan Van Lathan. (laughs) Van is back. Uh, Van Lathan about the CFP. Um, but also if hip-hop music is in, quote, a horrible place, as Tory Lane said. We'll talk with our resident college football insider, Zach Smith, about whether or not LSU was the best team ever, and if Joe Burrow just had the best individual season. Also, what to look forward to if you're a Buckeyes fan in 2020. Finally, we'll talk about the Odell Beckham handing out money scandal and give our opinions on some more news and notes. Want to get to the winner of the Pilot Boys podcast tea contest on Patreon? It was really, the really hard. Is, drum roll, please. Patrick West. Patrick West, you are the winner of the Pilot Boys podcast tea. Please DM us on Twitter uh, and give us your address so we could send that out immediately. And finally, shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Remember that our $5 and up Patreon subscribers will get our podcast on Wednesdays now, one night early. Wow. And these donations help keep our show going. If you want to help keep us on air, you can donate at www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys Podcast. Let's go. Where the Pilot Boys at? Pilot Boys, we get on up. We gon' fly, boys, we get You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is a current sportscaster and anchor for Fox Sports 1, formerly at ESPN. He's also a producer, host, CEO, and a two-time Sports Emmy Award winner, amongst many other things. Let's welcome Mike Hill to the show. What's up, Mike? What's up, Michael? What's up, V? What's going on, guys? How you doing, Mike? Glad to have you on. Hey, Man, my, happy to be here. Yeah, Mike, you know, when I first met you many years ago, I think it was probably like around yeah. 2004 in New York, um, you were at ESPN at that time, and uh, now you're at FS1. You know, obviously, I'm not trying to create a war here, and, and I know yeah. you've made it a habit to not, you know, diss your old, the old network. But one question that I always wanted to ask you, and I'm surprised I've actually never asked you this, is, you know, what are some of the notable differences in your mind between the networks or... If you don't want to necessarily do that, kind of maybe give some some props to FS1, things that you really appreciate about where you're working at now. Well, first of all, I'm giving, like you said, I get to respect the ESPN, man, because without that platform, I wouldn't be in a position I am today. I mean, it is the worldwide leader in sports. It still is, even though I'm over at FS1 and Fox, and I'm very loyal to them. I know that you know Fox still has a long ways to catch up when it comes to ESPN because ESPN's just been around for so many years. They're a standard, so I give them that props and that and, and, and that glory because of, of what they've done and what they've been able to accomplish and they've allowed me to be able to do the things I've done. Right. Uh, the difference, the big difference is, man, maybe I think it's the freedom. You know I mean? I feel like I'm more myself over here at FS1 and Fox. And I think they really encourage that. 
you know, ESPN has a way of doing things and w- which is their right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a system. They had a, a, an engine that they want to put the, their type of oil into. Uh, and uh, when I was there, you know, I was kind of controlled a little bit more. Right. Over at Fox or FS1, I just feel like I'm a little bit more free, man. And just, uh, you know, the people are great. And just being out here in L.A., it's just outstanding. <laughs> it beats Connecticut, no right? It beats Connecticut. <laughs> you look like you're it's enjoying no life out there. You look like you're enjoying yeah, life. You know what? That actually brings me to a great a great question because, you know, one of the things that we actually were going to ask you, and this is actually kind of a perfect segue, is kind of that balance between being your own person and your own voice versus being someone who's employed by, you know, a big entity like that. And, and you know, whether or not you feel, you know, like when you're tweeting, for example, you know, I know you're on Especially with social media. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how, how do you balance that of like, is this Mike Hill's thoughts? You know, or are these, do these thoughts represent Fox Sports 1 larger? You know, or and then also, you know, Fox, for example, just being, you know, kind of polarizing in other areas, especially particularly in news. How do you right. kind of balance all of those things uh, as you're kind of navigating this social media world nowadays? Well, well, obviously you got to take into account everything that you're you're doing. I mean, you got to take into account the fact that I'm a, I'm a father, so there are certain things I can't say as a father. Mm-hmm. There are certain things I can't say as the fiance to a reality show star, and there are certain things that you know I'm probably going to realize that you know I'm working at Fox or Fox Sports One or what, and I was at ESPN. That you know, even though I'm, I feel like I'm very open and very vocal on social media that. I'm just going to think about it before I actually press in, you know? Right. Uh, so there's a thought that goes into it. I try not to emotionally tweet. I think that when you emotionally tweet or you put things on social media and you, your emotions are involved and that's when you get in trouble. But yeah. I really feel like over the last couple of years, I've been really authentic, man. And I really been able to say myself, talk to talk, say the things that I really want to say, uh, actually, you know, if I want to curse, I'll curse, I'll, you know, just to get the emphasis in there. Not that I need the curse to, uh, you know, improve my vocabulary or whatnot. Uh, I just think sometimes I curse to actually prove a point or yes. put a point out there or whatever. But yeah. Mike, it, let, me t- let me tell you something real quick on that. You, uh, my mom yelled okay. at me the other day for cursing on the podcast too much. And I said, look, mom, when I do that, it's because I'm passionate about something. It's not because, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be raw or whatever, but it's, it, it's funny that you said that. I'm grown man getting yelled at by his mama still. <laughs> yeah, hey, we still get my mama yelled at me about something yesterday. Same thing. Yeah. I can't even disclose what it was, but she yelled at me about. I'm like, mom, you just don't understand. But you know what? They always gonna give you that advice, man. But 100%. Uh, to that point, man, like I said, you always gotta put a thought process. And like, even with your mom, like I said, my kids are watching, and, and people that you know, even fans that that look at you a certain way. You know, it's one thing I feel like I'm really complex because. I can be talking about God one day and then not be using the right. worst curse words right. and make right. a couple of tweets. Right. You know, so it's a little bit complex. God ain't done with me yet, man. But at the same time, I just feel like the difference when it comes to social media and me just being able to use my voice, I am using my voice. And I'm not, uh, I'm unapologetic right now when it comes to being me. Yeah. I, I just, I, I realized a couple of years ago that I just had gotten away from being me. I was being conditioned at the other network to be somebody else. Yeah. And now I'm really feeling like I'm just, Mike Hill again. I'm 100% sense that freedom in you. And and Mike, it's it's interesting. We just talked about social media, but you've worked in both eras pre and post social media. Just Mm -hmm. interested in hearing like what you see are the differences um, and, 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 and how that adjustment has gone, gone for you over, over time. 
man, social media has changed the world. I mean, it gives everybody a voice. And that's a good thing, but it's also a terrible thing because some people don't need to have a voice. But you know what? They have an opinion. <laughs> they say what's on their mind. And, you know, you know right away how somebody feels about you uh, through social media. You know, it also gives, you know, entertainers, athletes, people like yourself, you know, an opportunity to basically say what's on your mind and to kind of reveal your inner thoughts. If somebody's saying something for you, somebody's coming at you, you don't have to worry about putting out a press release or something. You can just say it right there on social media. So it's changed drastically, man. I enjoyed, I think once again, it's one of the best inventions we've ever had uh, in our, in our uh, time timeline, our community, our life. Uh, and it's just something that I, I, I enjoy. And I, I think used properly uh, can be something that uh, continues to change the world. And specifically for you, I know you mentioned that like at ESPN, you were very controlled and also just within the role of being a sports anchor, right? You're, you're, asked to just report news, social media kind of gives you an outlet to, to state your opinions as well that maybe you were restricted from before. Oh, man. Like, yeah, I, my, I got in trouble so much at ESPN for my social media. <laughs> you just don't know, man. Seriously. I mean, you understand when I was at ESPN, I left in 2013. You know, social media was really starting to take off by the time I left. Mm-hmm. But I was one of the first people to jump on Twitter at ESPN and they didn't even realize what was going on. They didn't know what was happening. I was trying to inform them. I said, this is the way of the future. Mm-hmm. We know we should be doing things. Even Skype was coming out. And I was saying, hey, we should be doing our interviews with Skype. So right. social media and technology, uh, you know, revolutionized a lot of things, man. And just uh, was able to allow me to, to use my voice. There was one time where I was doing SportsCenter. And uh, the big, the president of the network was going to come and observe our show. And he came in, and I remember just walking in, and everybody from the producers to the co- my co-anchor to uh, the production assistants, everybody was really tight. Everybody was like cleaned up. It's like you know, like right. if you're you're you're, you're some, like if you got a wife and your, your mom's coming, right. and how your wife cleans up everything, <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden right. the whole whole house is spick and span or something like that. Right. I just noticed how everything was so spick and span, and everybody was tight, and they was afraid to say what was on their mind, and say, well, you know, be, them, be themselves because he was around. Mm-hmm. And I put on Twitter, I said, I said, um, I said, the big boss is observing our show, my pod, which is the pod, like the pod is the people that are around you. Mm-hmm. My pod mm-hmm. is tighter than a gnat's ass. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said that and it got put in sports business journal as like their joke or tweet of the oh, day or whatever. Wow. And it didn't go over well. I got suspended. Oh, wow. Well, you know what? So that's great. First of all, that's hilarious. That actually brings me to another question too, which is, you know, kind of piggybacking on what we're talking about. How do you feel like social media has actually impacted journalism uh, now? Like it seems as though, you know, the way stories are even broken, like you, you mentioned a little bit earlier, or, you know, kind of the barriers to entry. And, you know, what do you, how do you feel like, uh, you know, social media has kind of impacted that industry? It's been, I mean, so much. I mean, like, you know, because of social media and technology, man, especially the newspaper industry, it's like, you know, why wait? You know, you don't have to, I, I, I don't turn, turn, I'm sorry, I don't turn on my television first thing in the morning and go to CNN, ESPN to find out what's going on. The first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning is Twitter. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. I, and I want to see what's trending, find out what's going on because, Believe me, if they're talking about it on Twitter, they've been talking about it on TV right. or TV picks it up because they found out about it on Twitter. A lot of times we find out about things on social media long before they even realize what's going on on TV. You know, a lot of the news that we get from Sports Center, a lot of news we get from Fox Sports One or some of the, the stories we're talking about 
is because people are talking about it on Twitter. Right. Or they're talking about it on Instagram or a picture that's been up on Instagram. So it's revolutionized and it's changed the whole game, man, because everybody once again has a voice. And if you're not talking about it on your networks or whatever and people are talking about it on Twitter, you're going to be left behind. One of my reservations kind of with social media is I agree with everything you said, but it's hard to filter what's true and what's false, right? Like yeah. mm-hmm. I've seen situations, like I remember like a Rick Ross story, people were reporting that he was dead. Even reputable outlets. And reputable outlets, yep. right? And and you find out later that it's it's false and there's this need to be the first and, you know, mm-hmm. in journalism, it's always like, I think they say you always have to have two sources before you report a story. It seems like that those rules aren't in place anymore. No, that, I mean, that journalism as we knew it back in the day is totally dead. I'm serious. Like, man, like because of social media, because of the blogs, once again, there's the good and then there's the bad. Like you mentioned, there have been times where people have thrown out fake stories. And you know, that's why you got to look at the accounts to make sure that it's not a fake account mm-hmm. because yeah. it could be one letter off and it could be something from Adam Schefter. And it could be like Schefter is, you know, you forgot to see in Schefter's name or something like that. Right. And right. all of a sudden people go with, Oh, Cam Newton is retired. Or right. Something like yeah. that. That's why they started verifying yeah. accounts. Uh, for yeah. That that's what, exactly mm-hmm. why they started verifying the accounts. But at the same time, it's like, I've always been um, under, you know, the the thought process of even if you see something on CNN or on Fox or whatnot, social media, like you said, you got to verify those, those those reports and do your own research and not just listening to what other people are telling you or what you're seeing on the tweet or whatever. So I'll look at that. I'll see that and I'll try and get other accounts of the same story to make sure it's true, because there have been plenty of times where people, like you said, put something out there, somebody's dead, and all of a sudden they made this miraculous recovery right. and they weren't even in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So right. It, 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 it can be really confusing sometimes, but once again, you know, it's a great source to uh, actually uh, get that news right away, but being first doesn't necessarily mean you're always accurate, so you got to be careful. And then the whole the blogs, man, you know, yeah. I've, I've, I've just found out how bad or detrimental the blogs can be to a person's reputation because mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a little bit more in the spotlight because of who I'm engaged to now. Right. Yeah. And you see some of the stories that are out there and it's like, it's just not true. But people read stuff like that and they automatically believe it and then they don't see the retraction later. So it can be really uh, hurtful to uh, to a lot of people. 100%. And that's one of the things that we were going to ask you, which actually is a, is a good segue too. Is that you know? Obviously, you're engaged to Cynthia Bailey. Congratulations on that. Let's give him a little Congrats. round of applause Thank for that. You, and and <laughs> yeah, you know, for me, it doesn't matter. You know, I've known you for a long time, so for me, it doesn't matter who you're engaged to. You know, for me, it's about you being happy, right? It just so happens that Absolutely. she is a celebrity and and, and um, you know, pop culture personality. And so, you know, now it seems as though you know maybe everyone's probably in your personal life even a little bit more. And we're obviously we're not here for that. But one of the things that I was cur- uh, curious about is kind of the difference in coverage, you know, because as a sportscaster, it's interesting. Unless you're, like, deliberately trying to brand yourself like Stephen A. Smith, so, so to speak, you guys are famous, but you guys don't, don't necessarily have paparazzi following the you Reporters. Around, you know what I mean? And so, you know, not like that. But now, you, you, you know, being engaged to Cynthia, and I think there are a couple things that have happened. One, it seems like maybe people who, you know, who didn't know you before – now they know you, and you're probably like, "Yeah, I've been here doing this." You know what I mean? And then, all, yeah. and and then also, it's probably the coverage has to be different, right? So, talk a little bit about that. What is it like now? You know, just being my kill. You've always been my kill, but now you're, you know, engaged to somebody who's who's famous as well. 
you know, you gotta you gotta swallow your ego and your pride, man. When it when it comes to some, being somebody like me, because like you said, I've been on a, a major national network for the last you now was it for the last sixteen years of my life. Right. I've yeah. been at a network level, so I've been seen by millions of people all the time. Yeah. But it's nothing like this. It's yeah. a totally different audience. You know, you gotta also understand. Their housewife fans aren't necessarily sports fans, so they had no idea. So they're like, oh, yeah, the dude on Fox Sports. And then, you know, you, you got to have a thick skin because a lot of people think that, oh, you got this status or you, you're you somebody because, because you're dating. dating yeah. You right, know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, I kind of carved out a nice little career beforehand or whatever, but that's okay. <laughs> right. I'm really proud and really happy to be with somebody like Cynthia Bailey, and I'm happy to be her boo. Now I've gone from being that dude that's on sports because a lot of times, even when I was on ESPN and being on Fox or whatever, People have always said sports dude or ESPN. They don't know my name. Right. They'll say Mike or they'll call me Mike Lees. Or they'll call me uh, Stuart Scott. <laughs> they, they, call me, they, would, they would call me so many. All the uh, Stan Brett. I, I would get that Jay Harris all the time or whatever. Right. But not Mike Hill. You know right. what I mean? Oh, you old boy. Right. <laughs> so I'd be that dude or whatever. So they recognize the face and they recognize who I was and who I, what I did or whatever. But they didn't necessarily know my name. Yeah. Now I'm just like Cynthia's boot. <laughs> right, right. Even to the dudes, like I'll see, I'll be out like at, 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 you know a restaurant or in the airport or whatever. And if it's a black woman between the ages of twenty five <laughs> and fifty four, I just think I just automatically assume she knows me. Bro. Right, yeah. <laughs> it, it's got to that because they watch the show. I mean, over two million people watched last week's episode. That's wow. it's the highest rated show on Bravo. Wow. So I automatically assume that they know me and they they see me. And they'll smile like, oh yeah, she know I'm from Cynthia. Yeah, and if it's a dude. I'm saying, okay, well, you know, this is one of, one of my boys. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. I don't know how many times over the last, especially over the last couple of months since the engagement episode came out, where dudes will walk up to me and I'm thinking they about to come holler at me because, yeah, Sports Center, man, ESPN, Fox Sports. <laughs> right. They'll be like, man, you sent this good man. <laughs> Right. I'm like, I've even lost them. He's like, and then they'll then they'll throw the caveat out there, and be like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to watch you on ESPN, uh, but yeah, my, my wife watched you on. They they always blame their wife for their girlfriend. Right. It's not them right. watching on. They don't own, watch the wife show. Girl. Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Right. But it's changed, man. It's been it's it's been good, man. I'm happy. I'm just happy to support her and do whatever I can and. You know, I say my social media <laughs> impact is going up tremendously. Right, right. So, do you <laughs> guys like talk through? Do you guys like talk through it? I mean, I'm not I'm not trying to get into your relationship too much, but do you guys like talk no, through this talk. aspect of it? Because I feel like it's something that could be powerful for a relationship, right? To you know, a celebrity couple and people who are known in their own right. But I feel like it could also be something that could be like detrimental, like you said. If people aren't willing to swallow their pride in certain situations, if you know some situations, you got to know whether to play the back or whether it's your time to shine. Do you guys, you guys have those conversations? And, and also, a whole that's bunch a of really good question. That's a really good question because we do. I mean, I think in the beginning, one of the things that when we first got together is I told her like I want to build a dynasty, I want to build a legacy, I want us to, you know, I think we're like Neil says we're forced by ourselves, but we're we're, we're uh, great by ourselves, but we're forced when we're together. Yeah, and we brought it together, man, and we can just build on it or whatever. I can bring whatever or whatever I bring to the table, and she brings her popularity, her celebrity to the table, and we're creating shows and we're doing things together now. But also, I've also told her that you know what, whatever I need to do to support her, to continue to encourage her and continue to lift her up in a blaze of glory. I will do. But the good thing about it is she reciprocates that. Yeah. Cynthia Bailey, my baby, is 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 such a wonderful, genuine person that she supports me like nobody else, man. When it comes to my new projects on Fox Soul, when I was doing Hyperdrive on, on Netflix, 
any of my shows, even though she doesn't watch sports, she'll come to the studio and just hang out with me or whatnot. And she always promotes me, encourages me or whatnot. Yeah. And then there are gigs that like when she's doing something, she'll want to include me in those gigs, or whatever, to get me a little bit more, you know, notoriety, a little bit more uh, of a different type of audience, man. So I greatly appreciate it. And so whatever I can do for her, uh, we what do we do for each other, man? It's just icing on the cake. Right. And how do you filter out? You mentioned the blogs earlier. I mean, people are constantly just making up whatever about you guys. How do you guys like filter that stuff? Do you pay attention to any of that stuff? Do you, is it hard to ignore or do you just kind of just tune it out and, and say, that's, that's just the circus. We're not paying attention to it. Well, that's another good question, man. It's like, we, you know, luckily I think the the best thing that happened since we've been in this relationship is that I was, I am a sports cast and I've been doing this for a long time. Right. And you know, as sports fans, you got to have a thick skin with that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when you see things out there, man, it's like, you know, especially on social media and people are saying things about you, they talk about, you know, the way you look, it could be yeah. your haircut, it could be your eyebrows, it yeah. could be your cuticles, man. <laughs> zoom in. Seriously, man, right. I've had somebody zoom in on my picture on Instagram and say, oh, he need to get his cuticles done. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, wow. That's crazy. I'm serious, man. Yeah. Like, wow. you, see, you, you see it, but at the same time, you laugh at it, man, because yeah. it's so ridiculous. And right. you see, like I said in the beginning, social media. Everybody has an opinion. They're not afraid to give you that opinion, even though sometimes they don't even put the picture up and it's a private account. Yeah. But on top of that, man, when it comes to the blogs or whatever, we know what the truth is. You know, there have been several things that have been put out there that tried to paint us in a in a negative light or in a light that kind of made people question, you know, some of the decisions that we made or whatever. Even taking pictures. We did a photo shoot two weeks ago for this wedding magazine and people, everybody thought we got married already or whatever. Mm. And then people got upset. Well, why would you take uh wedding photos if you ain't married? You know, and you know, what's cra- but Mike, you know, what's crazy about this though. And this is the thing that it's like, you know, when I try to keep things in perspective, right. When, you know, cause you know, I get written crazy stuff all the time on social media, not anywhere close to what you're talking about, but you know, you realize with fanhood, right, that that is kind of what drives popularity and it drives the checks, honestly, is it's people caring that much about shit that doesn't matter and, you know, wanting to tune in to every little aspect of your life is actually kind of what drives some of the popularity. It's like in sports, right? People who are like tattoo their teams on their sh- on their body and, you know, people are, you know, people are like, oh, you're crazy. But it's like that's kind of what drives the industry. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, you know, you ha- you obviously have to you have to embrace it to a certain degree. Obviously, you don't want to be disrespected, but you do have to realize that that's part of what makes you popular and make, makes you money. You know? Yeah, people are talking about you, man. Like yeah. you said, you know, it's like some. I, I, I'm not one of the things people that says you know all publicity is good publicity. No, mm-hmm. no, nah. it, right. it, it ain't always yeah. good for you. Right. Some of the stuff I can do without, man. Just keep me anonymous. Right. I don't want to hear all that. Right. Right. I'm, I'm almost 50 years old. I don't need all that. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. There is a platform that you get because people are talking about you and saying your name or whatever. And like I said, it's like when you. But I've also gotten to the point, man, where I'm mature enough where I realize that people that are saying negative things about you that don't know you. And I I know we use the word haters, Mm -hmm. but when it comes to haters or so-called, they're never doing better than you. If you ever notice, you know what I mean? They, they would love to have the life that you have. Mm -hmm. So I won't allow them to steal my joy, man. I just want them. I want to live my life, be happy, know who I am. And when you're confident in who you are and you know, your whole man, yeah, you just can't let it affect you. And that's one of the things I try and tell other people when it comes to them, just don't even respond to it, man. I've gotten to the point 
where I'm like, I know the block button is my best friend. Yeah. I, oh, I, oh, I block and mute people all the time. That's like my favorite <laughs> yeah, thing to do on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. You and and speaking of joy, too, I guess one last question on this and before we move on is the parties. What are the parties like? Are they different now? Are, are you, you know, the things yeah. that you're, you're attending? You got to tell us about that a little bit. No, you know, you know, so we get to go to, you know, events and stuff like that. Like we went to um, Kentucky Derby. I had never gone to the Kentucky Derby before, man. It's like everything is laid out for you. You go somewhere and I got to go to the bad boy uh, screening. And, you know, it's just me, her and Kenya Moore in a wow. screening at Sony Pictures. So it's like, you know, that's a lot of access, man. Yeah. We're, we're not really the party and type. We get invited to a lot of parties. She gets invited. I'm like the tag along, the plus one. Right, <laughs> but, right, and right. I, don't mind, I guess I don't mind doing that, man, because I'm her man. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, it, we we get invited. But, you know, we're, we're still kind of real simple type of people, man. I, I go to Tao, go to Katana, and just chill out in the lounge, or go to a soul house, and just kind of hang out or whatever. Right. But well, look, you know, if, you, if you don't want to go, me and V will go in your guys', <laughs> <laughs> your guys place. I'll Dude, put a wig on and, and be Cynthia. <laughs> yeah, be my guest, man. Right. You can do it, please. Just hey, just bring me back to the gift bag. Bring the gift bag, stuff. right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. so, so first of all, so I want to I want to switch gears a little bit too because I think you know your story is you know. Is, is very interesting, like how you got there. And one of the things like, you know, like Stephen A. Smith, for example, he, he puts out his story of how he kind of got to where he was. And it's not all glitz and glamour, right? And I think a lot of times when you're a celebrity of any type, there's an assumption that, you know, you just kind of got lucky or, you know, whatever. But then anytime you dig deeper and hear somebody's actual story, uh, you realize like, wow, they grinded. You know, they did shit that other people weren't willing to do. And I know right. that you definitely have a very interesting story of kind of how you got there. And one of the things that's very important for us on this show is to detail those things, especially for the younger listeners and the youth, to kind of give them perspective on what it takes to get to, you know, where they ultimately want to go. So I just want to give you a, a chance to kind of, you know, tell your story of kind of how did you get to how did you get to ESPN? You and, know, And we also want to understand your why. Why this career? Why did you choose it? Mm hmm. Right. Well, I started off. Like, it was funny because I met a Mecca because he's an actor, and he, you know, we was you know, thing we was doing. A, oh, he did a film together. Oh and, you yeah, know, remember the small film we did oh together. Oh my god! So, <laughs> yeah, I forgot that's yeah. how. That is how. Yeah. A lot of people so, didn't even know about my short acting career. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I was like, "Don't get my Denzel on." They're gonna start digging. They're gonna start digging, Mike. Yeah, it is. He's very talented, man. He he, did, he does his thing, man. So, you know, not just the rapping thing, but I've, I've always been proud of you. Brother. So I like Thanks, your man. journey, and I've always always been a fan of that, and I've always told you that. Uh, but, you know, I came from, you know, humble beginnings, whatnot. I didn't have a lot, man. My, my found out my stepfather was a hitman later in life, man. Wow. You know, abusive to my mom. My mom was, you know, domestic uh, violence her basically her entire life when I was growing up or whatever. Uh, father, alcohol, and best friend was killed in the drive-by shooting. So, Jeez. I didn't grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth at all, man. Mm. Didn't go to college. I was in the Air Force, whatever, so I don't have a college degree. So I had to grind, bro. And mm. then the day I got out of the military, the day I got my first job in broadcasting. But what people didn't see is the 75 tapes I sent out to try and get that first job and mm. only got one call to come and get that, that job. And it happened to be the day I got out of the military, two hours after I got, wow. got out, was the day that uh, I got that first job, man. And then it was some ups and downs. You know, I got to... Uh, a, a fast burn, got to New York in four years, man, and being written up in, in, in magazines, whatnot. And I'm thinking I'm the shit. Then ego kind of gets involved. But you know mm -hmm. what? God has a way of humbling you, man, because mm -hmm. he wants you to get to a certain place. And if you're going in the wrong direction, he's going to stop that direction very, very quickly yes, and turn you back around, man. So 
I got, you know, I lost my job in New York because of 9-11. I got fired in Dallas uh, because of, you know, some, some other issues that I detail in my book and whatnot. And then uh, I got the opportunity after being out of work for a year and a half. That's what people don't see. Mm-hmm. Being out of work and grinding and having a family, barely being able to pay your bills, man, and yeah. being depressed and gaining weight and all that stuff. And I got the opportunity at ESPN in 2004, man. And, uh, you know, there's some ups and downs at ESPN as well. People yeah. look at that and they see he's on ESPN. He's on Fox, man. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, man. It's just, it's a job sometimes. Right. And even though I'm happy and I'm, I'm very proud and, 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 and thankful that I have that job and the opportunity to do it, man, there was a lot of things that happened that, you know, really stresses you the hell out. Right. And I went through a lot of that while I was at ESPN from, I believe some perceived prejudice to, you know, some of the things I brought on to myself of just not being good enough and then being fired at ESPN. Mm-hmm. People don't want to realize that, man. It's like, you know, they don't want to admit when they've been fired. Yeah. In this business. You've been there <laughs> long <laughs> enough, you're going to get fired. Right. And that happened to me. So luckily for that, after that, I was able to always kind of fail up. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> even though I got fired in Dallas, I failed up after a year and a half and got the job at ESPN. Right. After I got fired at ESPN, I failed up and was able to move out here to L.A., man, and get the board job at Fox Sports 1. So right. it's been some highs, some lows, man, some good times, some bad times. But at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And this journey has been incredible. And I can't wait to share all of it in my new book, Open Mic. Well, that first of all, when do, when does that book come out? <clears throat> that comes out. I'm meeting with my uh, my publicist today, but we're trying to get a, a March release. Okay, we've been trying to put it out for a long period of time, and then there are a lot of people I got to admit that said that you know um, I shouldn't put it out because there's a lot of controversial stuff in there. It's a lot oh, of things nah. that we definitely we, def- we definitely want to have you back when you're when you release the book. Yeah, no, I appreciate we, it, man. And, and one of the questions I, that V had asked earlier to piggyback my question, I want to I want to kind of get into that too is is your why? Because you know, when you like you said, you, it wasn't all peaches and cream for you. There are a lot of different ups and downs and a lot of downs, right? And but there's yep. something in, internally that kept you going. Uh, not just going in life, but going specifically in this business. And what, what 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 was your why? What was it that was helping push you forward through the tough times? God, man. I mean, I'm you know, I, I, he ain't done with me yet. I still got a lot of things, a lot of flaws, and I still act like you know, straight up Satan sometimes. But you know, God, <laughs> God pushed me through, man. It's something that is innate in me, and I think it's something that's innate in you. And I told told you this before that you are meant to be a certain person in his life. And then I know that I've only reached maybe 33% of my potential. Mm. I know that there's so much more that God has in store for me and so many things and the bigger platforms that he wants me to have so that I can touch people to make a difference. And that keeps me going, man. When you know that it's in you, when you know it's going to happen, why am I going to stop when the next day could be the biggest break of my life? Right. Why would I do that? So I always tell people, man, no matter how many times you get knocked down, you know, it's an old adage, you know, get knocked down eight times, get up nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's me, man. I'm going to get knocked down. But, you know, the thing is, it's like a chart, like the greatest stocks in the world, Apple, I don't care who it is, whatever. You know, you, you can have stocks and it can hit a high, hit a low, but right. then it's going to go back up. You right. don't ever see a stock that just continues to rise, rise, rise. All of us, you know, it, it doesn't happen. Right. Stock market is the same. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm saying about you know about yeah. the stock market. Right. So the greatest stocks in the world, man, it's had ups and downs, man. So I got to look at my life almost and take stock, you know, literally in my life and basically treat it that way and realize that you know what I got to stick with it because I know 
better days are coming. And with God in control, man, and and and, and controlling, and 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 I'm believing in Him, then I, I know I can control and do anything I want to in my life. Right. I know that. I feel that. That's the confidence I have. And that's that's great advice. Like I said, I think uh, you know a lot of times, like I said earlier, you know, people see people in high positions, and they don't, you know, they just assume certain things about it. And so that's why I think it's it's very important for people to hear. Uh, not just the grind, but also how you were feeling at times, you know what I mean? Like, you know, what you went through, um, the trials and tribulations. And and then also that even when you quote unquote make it, that it's not all peaches and cream, you know? And so no, man. That, that's the thing that I think is very important about what you just said. I want to I transition to one, one more thing before we kind of get you out of here um, and, and get, some of your, get some of your top five lists. Uh, something that uh, you know, D.L. Hewley, that's your cousin, you know, and it's like, yeah, yeah. it's like you, uh, you know, it seems as though, first of all, D.L. Hewley is like one of the funniest comedians of all time. He's also very uh, outspoken and and a great voice for our generation. Yes. As well. Big, big time, you know, and and I feel like he he's a person who's also kind of, you know, growing into his purpose as well, right? I think uh, he realized, you know, his platform and how big it was, and. And now, you know, he's also very smart and intellectual and realizes that his voice is powerful and, and speaks on issues. I think, you know, I guess my only question really with regard to that is like kind of what is it like? What was it like being DL's cousin? And also, how you know, do you guys do you guys, you know, share stuff and information and, and kind of mentor or, you know, help each other kind of get through this this life of, of celebrity a little bit? And can you drink anything when you're around him? <laughs> Can can I can I drink anything without spitting it out? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think Dio drinks and smokes. So <laughs> can I hold it in while I'm smoking? <laughs> no, uh, nah, man. You know, Dio. Look, Dio. That's that's my 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 my, my big cousin, big little cousin, since because he's so much shorter than I am, but. Um, <laughs> His knowledge, man, I'm proud of D.L. because, you know, this is a guy that has a GED, man. He's one of the smartest guys I know. You know, so anytime I'm around him, I try and soak up, you know, information, whether it be in politics, whether it be he always wants to talk sports with me. So I know that's going to happen. So he'll call me up and talk sports for about 45 minutes to an hour. And I'm like, I want to talk to him about politics or whatever, about right. what's going on in the industry and life and whatnot. But he's always been there for me, man. Anytime I get a chance to talk to him and sit down with him, man, I got a question. He's going to give me some good sage advice, man. He's been in the business for a long period of time. But, yeah, he also is very funny, man. We all have flaws or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't talk to him as often as I want to. Uh, he hit me a couple of months ago. And, you know, this was after some, I can't remember who died, but somebody died. He just, like, was kind of feeling some, like, man, we need to just, we need to spend more time together. And yeah. I think I've seen him once since then. Yeah, right, but he's right. so busy. And you're so busy. And I've been busy. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I've been busy lately, man. But we just haven't done it. But you bringing his name up, man, just reminds me, man, that you know what? Life is short. And you never know when it's going to end, man. You want to have any regrets when it comes to the people that you love and spending so much time with them or whatever. But he's just a, 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 a wealth of knowledge, man. And I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and I'm very proud that he's my cousin. And anytime I get a chance to talk to him or whatever about life or Anything that's happening in this industry, man, it's just it's a it's a good thing, right? Well, speaking of influential people, I, we have we have something that we do on this show that we like to do with all of our guests before we let them out of here, and uh, we we like to get two different lists, and we you know mm -hmm. I think that you know when it comes to music and sports and kind of influences, I think when you hear people's influences, it can kind of help you, give you a little bit more insight into who the person is. So the first mm -hmm. list that I want to ask you about is your top five most influential music artists of all time people that personal a personal list 
a top five musicians. Oh, okay. Uh, musicians, so it could be rappers, it could be singers. Yeah, it could be anybody yeah. like that. Okay. Anyone yeah. in music, oh, yep. Influential, well, well, I'm going to start off with Jay-Z. Because okay. Jay-Z, like, I, Jay-Z changed my life. His uh, 444, mm. that's one of the reasons why I'm in, in my relationship right now. Wow. It made me, I get emotional thinking about Jay-Z's 444. Wow. That, that. That if I listen to that album, I cry. Wow, it's a grown man's album. That's, that's big. Man. That's my that's my life, bro. Yeah. I mean, the first time I heard, it, I'm like, you know, and then you know, because of the things I've done in my life when it comes to like being with women and stuff like that, and my ex wives, whatever, and you know, the things I did. And he's like, and his, you know, like his kids would find out about stuff. Yeah. Man, that just made me. Woo, I, I get emotional thinking about it right now. Mm. So Jay-Z definitely has a huge influence on my life. Mm. Prince has an influence mm. on my life, obviously, because of just who he is, man, just his persona. The, you know, I'm very secure in who I who I am, but the sexiness that he brings and exudes to the table when it comes to being, you know, ladies and stuff like that, and his music, or whatever. Right. Uh Mike, how, how can I go wrong? Michael Jackson, of mm. course, you know, the influence that he has in, you know, in everybody's lives or whatever. Bob Marley is probably mm-hmm. number four when Love it comes Bob. to that type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. just and and um, who's who will be number five as far as gosh, that's a good question. Uh, so I got Prince, Bob Marley, I got Michael Jackson, I got Jay Z, and gosh, I don't know who my number five would be. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as you can just put musical, me, put, you can just put me there. It's fine. And here's the thing, like I, I, I look at it like that as you joke, but I'm saying it's like from who, you quit a law firm, bro. And I don't know, you know, I know you probably talked about it on the show, you quit a, to pursue your dreams. Yeah. That right there, and I always tell my kids, man, it's like don't do something that we want you to do what you think society wants you to do, man. Do yeah. what your heart tells you to do. Right. And so anybody that can influence me in that kind of way. Uh, you know, I, I, I Mike, you're you gonna make that. me cry. He's gonna make me. I'm cry. sorry, man. So I, 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 <laughs> nah. I, I would. You, you're definitely one of the guys that I looked up to, and I'm. I'm not saying top five influence, but at the same time, you're influential in my life, I and you're that. a role model in my life, man. So, but oh, um, number five, Beyonce, man. Okay, okay. You got <laughs> I mean, Jay. You got Beyonce. Do. It only makes I, sense. I, I, Beyonce, yeah. Just you know, bro. How can you not, man? I went to a Beyonce concert. And I was surrounded by all these women, and I, I really felt like it was me and ten straight dudes there. It's mesmerizing, we right? At, yeah, we looked at each other, and we was like, "If Beyonce tells these women to kill us, we are dead." <laughs> <laughs> the beehive is no joke, man. Yeah, man. That that yeah, shoot, that's influence if for your ass, right? right for real. Yeah. And and now in, in in your industry, top five athletes that have had the most influence on you, and, and maybe an interesting story with an interaction with one or two of them. Okay, uh, top. Well, I'm gonna start off with Magic, man, because mm-hmm. there's none. I, I admire Magic no matter what. Like I loved him as a player. Uh, my favorite, you know, Laker of all time when he came to, you know, what he did on the basketball court, how he won. But at the same time, his business acumen, man, that influence. These are the type of things I enjoy and and I like about him. Uh, uh, then I'm gonna go with LeBron James, basically for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. This dude is not human. He's a mutant. There's no way in the world that somebody at that age um, and that many years in the league can continue to be at the top of his game the way he is. So I'm definitely going to go with that. And doing um, all the things he does off the court, too. It, all the things he does off the court, man. And then, you know, like I said, my interaction with, you know, back in the day with Magic, man, being able to talk to him and whatnot has always been uh, incredible as well. Um, 
Then I'm going to go as far as info Derek Jeter. Mm. Like just I like the way he handled himself when it came to playing in the Mecca of you know, he was a captain of the New York Yankees. Right. Yeah. Won those championships or whatever. And yes, you know, he had plenty of women where his penis could be in the Hall of Fame on his own. <laughs> Where, I wasn't ready. I, yeah, you weren't ready. I mean, look, look, think, think about that. Yeah. The, the women that he's been with, man. This, Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story, Jeter story, real quick. When I first okay. got to New York. I, I uh, got into this this party. It was like a New York Jets party, and I, I had mm. no business being there. Like I, I just I snuck in with some guy, and we ended up sneaking into this VIP section. And in this VIP mm. section was Mike Tyson. DL was there. Actually, it's crazy. I never even told you this. I think DL Healy was there. Mike Tyson was there. Derek Jeter was there. Mariah Carey was there. I swear to God. And this oh, wow. is a small, small section. And I'm in there with mm -hmm. my brother. Me and my brother are like looking around like, what the fuck are we doing here? And that <laughs> night, I swear to God, if social media was around then, I would have got paid because Mariah was all over Derek Jeter. And he was kind of just playing her like she was just some regular chick. I swear to God, was, I, I'll never forget it like it was yesterday. And I was just like, wow. So when you said that, that just reminded me of that story. That's so funny. Yeah, he definitely was the man. One other story about Jeter, too is um, I know a lot of like models that used to go to his parties in New York. And he had the rule. He was one of the first people to have this rule. All phones had to get checked in at the door. Yeah. So you had to check in your phone. You could, there were no, that's why you'll never see any pictures of, of Derek Dieter's parties. You know, and this is back in the early 2000s. So that's so funny you mentioned him. Just brought all that stuff back to me. But that's how he stayed out of trouble, man. He was smart. He was ahead of his time, man. Yeah. Like, think about this dude was in the, he never had a scandal. Right. One, not one scandal, man. And once again, this man should be, his body should be in the Smithsonian <laughs> with the women that he's with. Right. I mean, like, right. how can you not admire something like that? But, you know, like, he did it with a lot of class and grace, man. Right. Uh, Steph Curry, also one mm. of my influential guys, man. Just, like, the way he handles himself, man. His, yeah, I, I like people and guys who use their platform for good and also great role models, mm. man. Wonderful role models that somebody that, you know, I would want my kids if I had boys to grow up to be. Right. You know, the way he loves his wife and whatnot and all that type of stuff, man. I I, I just, you know, enjoy it. He's a, and he's a nice dude, man. Mm. Really nice dude. And then one, another one, and I don't know if it's top five, but I'm going to throw him out there because I don't think he gets enough credit. Jamal Crawford. Wow. I love Jamal Crawford. One, yeah. Jamal Crawford is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in sports, man. Mm. Seriously. I think he's so articulate and just so brilliant and just so when when it comes to his acumen on the basketball court and off the basketball court, man, I just enjoy what he does, man. How he stays, you know, relevant after all these years, and he should be in the league, man. So I'm gonna throw Jamal Crawford out there as yeah, well. Yeah, it takes a certain personality to have the type of game that that him and Lou Williams. Lou Williams reminds me a little bit of him, just always confident, yes. always smooth. And it's not surprising to me here to hear that he's 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 that way off the court as well. And V did, he, man, he's, he's the one. V did this guy. on the V did this on the last show, and I'm going to do it real quick before we get you out of here. I'm surprised you didn't say Muhammad Ali. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my! Hold a brain fart. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's start number one. Jamal's got to go, oh right? My, oh my god! Yeah. That is so terrible. That is so. I'm um, so man. Please forgive me. Anything I've ever said on this podcast, is not, you need to. Can we just erase this whole podcast? Oh my god! Oh my yes, yes, man. My, yeah. How can I forget Muhammad Ali, man? Yeah. He was the original man. It's like what he stood for and how he did it, man. The greatest of all time in the boxing man. But how he stood up for uh, 
a people mm-hmm. and, and, and fought and, and sacrificed and made that happen, man. You know, you can look at Colin Kaepernick the same way as the Monday, you know, Muhammad Ali in a sense, man, but Cap didn't have... He didn't do what Muhammad did. He, yeah, he didn't, he, he, he didn't lose what Muhammad did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He lost money and endorsements and stuff like that. He got the endorsements back. But as far as, like, Muhammad at the top of his game, man, the greatest people... I mean, he was the number one athlete in the world at that time. Right. You know what right, I mean? Right. And he's like, you know what? I don't believe in this war, so I'm going to sacrifice this and change his name, man, and fall for us. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And now, and it was critical at that particular time, just like it's critical right now for people to stand up for us or whatever. But yeah. back then in the 60s, you know how that was, man. Yeah. Did you, did it, you, was just, it was a different era. Did you ever get to meet him? Never, never. And that's one of the biggest regrets. Like, I think the like a couple of months after he died, man, I went to an auction and they were auctioning off his gloves. I ain't care how much those gloves were. I was going to get those gloves, bro. Mm. I got those gloves. Yeah. Yeah. So I got some signed, signed Muhammad Ali gloves, but I never got a chance to meet him. I met his daughter, Layla, but you yeah. know, just never got a chance to meet him, man. Right. And that's, yeah, I really hate that. So I can't wait to, you know, I pray I live a good life so I can get to heaven. You know, he's yeah. there. Yeah. Well, yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike, thank you so much, man, for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. This was a great, great interview. Uh, even, I mean, obviously, I knew it was going to be great, but even better than I expected. Uh, you know, definitely, I guess one last thing I, I would just give you the opportunity to do is kind of tell us what you have coming up next, because I think your story is so interesting that people should definitely be following you. Well, thank you, man. First of all, I had a great time, man. You're awesome. You, you should be doing this as well. You, there's so many skills that Mecca has here. I didn't realize all the skills. You can be on television, being doing my job as a host. Uh, I got... Well, I'm doing Fox Soul, man. We just had the big launch. It's a new TV show. It's a new TV talk show that I'm doing, man. I'm really excited about So. After all these years in sports, man, I finally got a talk show where I can talk about things that are relevant to uh, us that's happening in the black community. So Fox Soul is a streaming platform that you can find on foxsoul.tv or on the streaming platforms uh, like the apps or whatever on Apple Play uh, and Fire Stick as well. Uh, You can download the app as well. So uh, I'm doing a show called The Mike and Donnie Show. That's uh, I call it the three R's, real relevant and raw Mm -hmm. uh, because we got real people talking uh, real talk. Mm-hmm. It's relevant because we're talking about things that are happening in society right now. Uh, and it's just raw because it's unscripted. It's un <laughs> it's uninterrupted and yeah. it's, you know, it's unfiltered. And we, right. and we have a good time doing that. Uh, also got the book Open Mic coming out. Once again, I told you that's probably going to come out sometime in March, man. And then still doing um, Fox, 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 uh, Fox Sports 1. And uh, me and Cynthia actually got a show. That we're actually got a pitch coming yes. up later on this month. We got a production deal with SDX uh, called The Hookup, where you know we met on a dating show on the Steve Harvey show, and so we put together a production uh, deal in a show, uh, a dating show. Uh, nice. So it's going to be with a little bit of a twist, man. It's a it's it's a, it's a different spin on the dating world. So we kind of taking elements of the dating world and actually putting it in this dating show, man. So awesome. that should be coming out. Hopefully it gets picked up and we'll be coming out um, in the fall sometime. Well, you know, if you need a host or some collaborators or some writers, we're, we're, we're over here. We're, we're here to help. I, I see you. can do it all. Man. I need you to do my taxes too. <laughs> no, seriously, Mike, this is, this is awesome. Thank you very much. You guys can follow him at it's Mike Hill on Twitter and uh, definitely stay tuned. Cause he has a lot of stuff coming up. Mike, we'll talk to you soon, man. All right, man. Thanks for being on. Thanks, V, man. Appreciate you guys, man. All right, thanks. Love the Pilot Boys podcast? Support us on Patreon. Supporters can pledge as little as $1. We have some cool perks on there. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash Pilot Boys podcast. 
show us some love today. Listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. A couple news and notes, man. This is a busy week in uh, sports and pop culture. A lot going on on and off the field. So I want to talk about first about this Odell Beckham situation. After the game, uh, the national championship game, Odell Beckham, who was obviously you know played at LSU, he was on the field and he took out money from his pocket and started you know handing it out to some of the players. One of them was uh, Justin Jefferson, which is a wide receiver who's headed to the NFL. Um, but then there was another guy named John Trey Kirkland, number 13, who is not really, a, it doesn't seem like he's going to be a pro player. And um, so there's a lot of chatter about it. LSU actually commented on it. I think they said the money was, was fake. The, the yeah. money was fake. <laughs> well, let, let's table that for a second. Let's just assume that the money was real, right? Um, what are your thoughts? What were your thoughts on it when you saw it happen? You know, I've, I've kind of, you know, had a multitude of thoughts just thinking about it since I saw it happen. And I just want to get your perspective on it when you saw it. I mean, the way I look at it is Odell being Odell. I'm not the biggest fan of his. I just think he does stuff and he's very irresponsible because he does it to draw attention to himself. Mm -hmm. Right. And he doesn't think about the consequences. I get it. You know, you're in the moment. But the thing is, like, you're you're a grown man. You know what the consequences and ramifications are for these kids in this program. To pull out money, it was just, first of all, it was corny as hell, too. It was, like, <laughs> super corny. Um, to do that is is very irresponsible, especially at a time when these kids are fighting um, to get more respect. You know, there's a, a, a strong population of people who do not understand the plight of a lot of these athletes and that people aren't just handing them all money all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and him doing that just drives up that sentiment and that thought which is is the farthest thing from the truth. A lot of these kids are struggling. And well, what do you think about wrong? the people who say like, well, je- like especially for Justin Jefferson, he's going pro. It doesn't matter. He's basically essentially a pro now. Once that game is over, so why does it even matter? The, when- uh, there's optics, right? It's the optics. Why? What does what does anyone have to gain from that other than Odell getting 50 million views on on Twitter? That's all he cares about. Like if you yeah. really care about LSU and the program, and this is the issue that he's had everywhere he's gone. Is there is some respect that you have to give to people other than yourself and what you want to do and what you're excited about. So here's how I looked at it. You know, when I first thought, I was like, look at Odell. What what are you doing? You're obviously creating potential violations, especially with uh with John Trey Kirkland, right? Because he's he's I don't think he is going pro. So theoretically he wants to remain eligible. Um and also the optics, right? It's kind of like why why are you bringing this type of attention uh, to to the program to the first of all puts the players in a bad situation. No one's gonna who's gonna turn down that money in that in that scenario, yeah. right? And then also creates bad optics for your program. Uh, but then I started thinking about it, and I was like, those things still might be true, right? 
But I think that it was almost like a big fuck you to the NCAA, especially in the case of Justin Jefferson, who's going pro, right? Uh, because it's kind of like, ha ha, you know, you guys have been stopping these guys. These guys just won a national championship and they're putting on national championship tees. While Ed Orgeron and all these coaches around them are about to get tons and tons of dollars and bonuses. And these players aren't allowed to receive any of it. So fuck you. And fuck you, NCAA. These guys should be getting paid. And so you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to send a message to you guys. And I'm going to slap money in their hands on national television and make you guys have to deal with it. And then when I thought about it from that perspective, I was like, oh, that's kind of, you know. I mean, maybe it wasn't the best way to do it. Obviously, they're going to be now there's going to be an investigation and all that type of stuff. But I kind of respected that because, you know, I, I, anytime someone says fuck you to the NCAA, you know me, I, I'm happy about it. So. I mean, I respect the thought if that's the thought, right? Mm -hmm. But then you're not thinking about the consequences for Odell's a millionaire, mm -hmm. right? And he's made it into the NFL. What if this kid gets declared ineligible as a result of this? The NCAA has been known to come down harshly. This was on national television. Like, I, I get all of that, but it's not the time and place, and it's also not the time. Like you said, they just won a national championship, mm -hmm. right? The kids are excited and happy. I always, I never believe in inserting politics into a moment like that because you are right. These kids don't get paid, mm -hmm. and they played all year for this moment to actually enjoy winning the national championship. That's pretty much all they get out of it except for the guys that are going to the league, right? Yeah. So that's my only issue with it is you took you took that moment and, and politicized it in a way that could be damaging. And I you have a history of doing stuff just for attention that makes people think that this is what this is, is just another PR well, stuff. Well, you know, the other thing too is I think that he, you know, will now kind of qualifies as a booster, right? And I looked up like on the NCAA's website kind of what a booster is and and um, basically, it's just a representative of the institution's athletic interests. So, you know, anyone could kind of be – that seems like a kind of a broad definition. Um, but one of the things that they talk about, obviously, is giving imp um, um, improper benefits. And one of those is giving out cash. That's something that you can't do and how that can make an athlete ineligible and also how you can lose kind of your privileges as a quote-unquote booster. And I think um, all, all in all, I think for Justin Jefferson – it doesn't really matter, right? It's, no. it's, you know, he's going pro. He's not, if they declare him ineligible, it doesn't matter. He's going pro. So it's like, whatever, right? Yeah. I think it's for the other kid and maybe, you know, John Trey Kirkland, and I'm not sure if there's anybody else who is going to come back to LSU. And what does that mean for him? It puts him in, it puts him in a bad situation uh, now that he's going to have to answer to. Um, and LSU puts LSU in a bad situation. And honestly, as LSU, as a program, you can't really now trust odell beckham around your program anymore no because you don't know even if you agree with kind of the principles of that he's trying to get across you don't know by continuing to embrace him you're saying that we condone this and and then also you don't know if you what what he's going to do you know what i mean moving forward so anyway I, that's I, why it was a bad situation because it's it's it was an unnecessary stand i don't think that it had the impact that you said it it it, it, it could have by why he was doing that like yeah. i don't think it brought positive attention to the issue it brought a lot of negative attention to it yeah so we'll see what the fallout is like we said lsu is saying that it was you know fake money which is a hilarious experience <laughs> just, I mean, like what like just say like oh we gave the kids got the money but they gave it right back you know what i mean Don't yeah say, they took it in the moment right. like the thing is no one can fault the kids what the hell are you supposed to do like and it's odell beckham again. yeah you know don't forget these kids are yeah they might be stars because they won national championship but they're still 18 19 
Odell Beckham is still kind of their hero. They want to be wh- who he is, you know, yeah. in, in, you know, 10 or six years from now. So anyway, let's move on from that. We'll see. We'll keep track of the fallout from that. Um, obviously, we're Browns fans. So, you know, the Browns do kind of what the Browns do, right? They hire Kevin Stefanski, who's um, the offensive coordinator from Minnesota Vikings. He's now their head coach. I like the guy. You know, I like his press conference. I like things that he has to say. He seems like a good dude. But it just seems weird that they would hire, not weird, typical Browns, I'd rather say, that they hire him of all the potential candidates out there, a guy who just got worked in the playoffs, basically, wasn't able to do anything. And now all of a sudden, he's the offensive coordinator. And then here's, or not the offensive coordinator. He's a first-year off, offensive coordinator. First-year offensive coordinator, and now he's the head coach of the Browns. And then Dustin Fox, um, he actually posted this on Twitter. It was from an article about the hire, and it said, Stefanski presented a detailed vision of how he will approach the head coaching job. He made it clear he was willing to yield to certain deep Podesta standards, such as analytics, uh, having an analytics person with a headset and access to coaching staff on game days, in addition to certain Haslam likes, such as hours-long Monday after owner-coach meetings. When you hear that, V, what do you think? I just think that this ownership group and D Podesta, they need to have some fucking humility Mm-mm. at some point. Like, Mm-mm. you guys haven't done anything right. The only thing that that's right that they did was they brought a football guy in, in Dorsey, who helped at least the roster get better. We got Nick Chubb now and a few other pieces. But to basically hire a guy because he's willing to submit to your standards, like... Mm-hmm. Who are you? Like, what have you done? Do you have Belichick type results? You guys have lost every year that you've been in ownership. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly he has to have a meeting with you. What are you going to tell a football mind? Jim, what's his name? Haslam about football. Like, and I just think again, owners that understand like Robert Kraft, he puts the power in Bill Belichick's hands Mm -hmm. because he knows he's the owner. Right. And Bill Belichick is the football guy. Yeah. You got a non-football guy in D Podesta and and Haslam, whose background is in business. He's been a successful businessman dictating the terms. I heard like they're gonna have to have like a, a analytics guy in the headset yeah, yeah. that they have to listen to during the game. Like, right. I understand you're trying to set new standards, but this is this Well, a couple other things too. They also hired Wade Phillips as defensive coordinator. That's a great hire. And Andrew Barry as a general manager. The only thing about the Wade Phillips thing is that he runs a three four and I, I'm just wondering how that's going to work, if he's going to adjust the system or if he's going to now run a 4-3 or if, or if they're going to run a 3-4 Miles Garrett has Gets. to play linebacker now. or like you know. Yeah, and it's always interesting to see what happens in those scenarios. I think that happened in uh, with the Texans when Wade Phillips was there too with J.J. Uh, Watt and uh, Clowney. Right. Well, obviously we're Browns fans, and you know I think we're obviously always <laughs> – you know, no matter how mad we get, we're always obviously optimistic. You know, I think we're. Really, I wish really for the. Good. I wish for the best. I mm-hmm. just wish, I just think that you have to reinvent the wheel and, and not do the same things that haven't worked in the past. I, right. Right. I hope he's a great coach and a great hire. So once again, we will see. Go Browns. Uh, moving on, uh, let's talk some hip hop news. Roddy Rich's album was the first hip hop album to debut to number one in fifteen years. That seems surprising, given the amount of successful hip-hop acts we've had over the years from Kendrick to Drake to Chance. Was to, it debut or comeback? Uh, debut. That, debut. Yeah, I don't, for some reason, I don't I don't think that that's, that's accurate, but if, if that's what they that, say. That was reported by Double uh, XL Magazine, so, you know, yeah. if, maybe they're wrong, but whether they're wrong or right, obviously, it's, it's a great, very great successful look. It's album. It's a great look for him, and, and congrats. I like that kid a lot. Yeah, he, uh, he's, he's, he's really talented. I like, I like his music, and We'll see what happens. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more 
um, about him later. Uh, another uh, thing that happened this week that was pretty interesting in sports, WNBA players, they negotiated a new deal. Um, they're about to get paid a ton more. Um, Six-figure salaries, child care benefits, and a lot more. Uh, I think that's pretty significant. It is significant. Take care of your players, and, and now we just got to make the WNBA profitable. Yeah. So um, we'll keep our eye on that and see how that deal ends up panning out. But I think it's 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 significant. And, you know, for for us who have nieces who, and, you know, like I have nieces that play basketball, I mean, that's great for that they have something like that to look up to now. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's like it's actually something that you can you can strive for. And, you know, a lot of female basketball players end up going overseas because because of the money because situation. Of the money. Right, exactly. Um, wow, okay, so this one is kind of crazy. Uh an ex or a former Penn State player uh, is suing the team and suing uh, James Franklin as well, as well as some players, claiming that the team hazed him, um, not just verbally, but also sexual hazing um, that was pretty violent. And then even using words like, I'm going to Sandusky you. I mean, these are things that are in the in the complaint that are in the lawsuit. Uh, he, he's claiming that the abuse uh, led him to leave the program, and actually, I think he eventually enrolled at the University of California, and uh, basically gave up his Penn State scholarship. Now he's seeking, you know, unspecified amount of damages. I'm sure it's in the millions, and saying that it caused, you know, stress to his football career, um, with severe physical and emotional distress. Um, Penn State said in a statement basically that um, they've investigated it. And um, and that the police investigated it and decided not to pursue criminal charges. So I don't know if that means that they're kind of denying all the wrongdoing. But what do you think about this when you hear this? This is the last thing that Penn State could afford. They've worked really hard with Bill O'Brien and 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 now the current coach to get away from the Sandusky situation. And if these allegations prove to be true, I mean, they deserve the death penalty. Like you don't play around with with things. I understand hazing, but you don't you don't sexually assault people. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you hear stuff like this, I think, first of all, you have to take these situations very, very seriously at the outset, right? Because these type of allegations are are very serious. The underlying kind of actions that they're referring, that he's referring to in the complaint are very, very serious. And the type of things that you don't want to see happen in a football program. As people who are former athletes and people who played sports growing up, you understand that certain things, certain types of hazing happen, you know, like you gotta toughen things. up the kids, but yeah, but obviously the, the allegations of these ones go substantially too far. Uh, I think they're, you know, they said the police investigated and didn't find anything. I don't know how, how to think about that. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, okay, well, what, what do we do? I mean, the allegations are there. Some of the Penn state players came out and denied it. Um, you know, I guess we're just going to have to see how this thing plays out. But I think, like you said, you know, if it turns out that they continue going forward and they continue digging and they find that these allegations are, are true, then Penn State should be in really, really, really big trouble. Um, we'll keep our eye on that one. Luke Keekley, unexpected retirement yesterday, put out a video. I was I was kind of sad watching it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy for him because I've seen all the concussions and we've seen that big play where he just looked completely lost. I'm glad that he made the decision that's best for his long term health. Yeah. Um, and he's an Ohio kid. I think he's from Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. Definitely has made the state proud and, and and made his family proud with his accomplishments on the field. And sometimes you have to walk away before it ruins the rest of your life. And, and that's one of the kind it. of the sad kind of unspoken things, uh, you know, in football, especially from a fan's perspective. You know, we watch these games and we get excited and we see big hits and we jump up and, and we don't realize that those things take a toll on these guys' body. I mean, you know, you start to hear about, you know, CTE and Luke Keekley's had tons of concussions. Um, you start hearing that type of stuff. And when you see a guy walk away after eight years, 
you know, a guy who's a pro bowler or a guy who has that type of talent. It just re re reminds you, right, um, of how dangerous this game is and uh, and the type of decisions that these guys are faced with day in day out. There's so, nothing that man loves more than football. Yeah, and to be forced um, to have it taken away is very very sad. Yeah, so we obviously wish him the best, um, and we'll see how you know the rest of his career plays out. Hopefully, he doesn't you know the effects you know CTE or any of those type of things. Hopefully, he doesn't have to deal with that. But uh, we'll see, and we'll pray for him. Um, Marshawn Lynch, you know, after the game, he he made some comments after the game that went viral, uh, which some people are saying may be his last kind of, you know, speech or press conference ever, you know, that this might be his last kind of his last rodeo. And some of the comments were basically, you know, take care of your family, take care of your body. These are the kind of messages that he wanted to give to the to the next generation. I thought it was pretty powerful. I think Marshawn has a way of saying things that really can get to the core of what the issue is. Take without, care of your chicken. <laughs> take care of your chicken. Take right. care of your mental. Right. You know, and I think Marshawn is just, he's very, very underestimating how smart he is. He's built a life for himself through beast mode that's not dependent on football. Mm-hmm. Um, his beast mode merchandise line is a seven-figure-a-year business for him right it's also taking care of his community um it's just it's it's great to hear from him and i think he very much resonates with players and hearing it from him is different than hearing it from a lot of other people yeah he did it i think that's that's spot on first of all you know he has you know a a story of someone who came from underprivileged background worked his way up you know fought through the system obviously played well and earned his stripes on the field but then also realized um, before it was too late that he, what tremendous marketing value that he had uh, as a player and as a brand and created a brand and took advantage of it. And then also lived his life a certain way. You know, he stories of, you know, you know, his foundation and giving back to the community and being involved in that regard. Uh, I think, like you said, it resonates a lot with the players. He's not just someone talking about it, but someone who's actually doing it. And so I love when I see stuff like that, because I think the young guys really need to hear that. Uh, and not be influenced by some of the some of the bullshit that you see on social media yep. nowadays. Um, two more things: uh, pop culture. Man, I started watching the show The Messiah. I, I put you it. on. I put you on. You did. You did. You told <laughs> me about it. I literally watched the first episode, probably like eight or eight or nine at night, and I ended up staying up to like three or four in the morning, just binge watched the whole first season. That show is amazing. Yeah, we definitely gonna have to talk about it more on another podcast. But definitely, if you're you're a Netflix watcher, check out Messiah. It's the best new show out. Whew, that show. And uh, last thing, Martin Luther King's birthday was yesterday. Uh, obviously, we're going to give him a special happy birthday and shout out Martin Luther King for all he's done. And um, we you could know, use, we could use a couple of Martin Luther Kings in the times we're living in right now. Absolutely, you know. And there's never a wrong time to shout him out. Anyway, you're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. That's all we have for news and notes. You're listening to the Pilot Boys Podcast. Our next guest is a huge media personality, producer, and podcast host of The Red Pill. He was an on-air personality for TMZ for many years and now has many new things in the works. Please welcome to the show, Van Lathan. Van, what's, what's up? up? What's up? How y'all doing, man? You finished that five-mile run? Uh, not yet, bro. I actually paused because... 
I didn't want to be on the phone with you guys all blowed out and stuff like that because y'all y'all need to get my blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, speaking of, speaking of that, you know, first of all, obviously you're a big LSU fan. Everybody knows that, and I definitely wanted to shout you guys out. Uh, congratulations on on a great win and a great season. How do you feel? Uh, it's amazing. You know what the funny thing is? Hmm. The funny thing is last night was I'm sure as, as super fans you guys can understand this. Last night was more relief than it was anything else. Mm-hmm. When you build and you build yourself up so much about the game and then everything that the team has accomplished. And now it's I'm obviously elated. But you also just step back for a second and look just in the totality of what this team was able to accomplish, mm-hmm. uh, it is it's insane. In your opinion, they were, to, were they the greatest? Are this, is this the greatest team and greatest you know season in in football college football history? Is Joe Burrow? Did he have the greatest individual season uh, of any other of any I, other player? See, it depends on what you mean by greatest team. If you say greatest team, it's like. If you line us up on the field with anyone, will we beat them? That's hard to say. You're comparing errors and stuff like that, right? Right. The greatest kids in terms of NFL uh, talent, who's coming? Who's going to come in and start fucking with the 2001 Canes on that? Mm-hmm. Um, right. But if you're telling me the greatest run, the most accomplished, the like when you look at just the numbers themselves, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, if you look at the, the the top ten as it stands right now, you know LSU ran through so many of those guys. They beat the top four in the in the uh, AP preseason poll. So uh, I think as far as what they accomplished on the field, um, it's definitely the greatest season that I've seen. Right. I can't remember seeing any any one team that had done more. And and for for me, like I I'm living in Houston for a while. I know how passionate LSU fans are. Right, like. You guys are real fans. Some of you guys are a little bit far, go a little far like a lot of other fan bases, but it seems like the last few years when people were talking about the SEC, all you heard about was Alabama and Georgia. Speaking to LSU fans, it's like, look, we have a history here too. We put put guys in the NFL. And this was this win kind of a validation for you guys to to, to speak about, hey, we, we're a great program as well. Not to me. I, I think... It, for nationally, I think the thing about <clears throat> being in the same division with Alabama is that, you know, uh, when you're in that situation nationally, people can tend to, um, it's like, for example, Florida State of Miami, those are two blue blood college football divisions right now, uh, because programs right now, but nobody's going to talk about them because they are being absolutely dominated in every particular way that you can be dominated <laughs> by, by Clemson. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. Um, but nobody who knows college football uh, is going to have any questions about historically, both recent history and past history, um, about what Miami and Florida State have been able to accomplish. So the rise of Alabama has been tough just because they've been beating them. But as far as our national reputation, I mean, you know, going back in the in the past, obviously the '90s sucked for LSU. But since 2000, you know, this is our third championship with three different coaches. Uh, right. We've been to the national championship game four times. We've put all types of unbelievable talent in the NFL 
We've won the SEC, I think, four or five times. So, like, we, as a fan, if you have your head on straight, you should be aware of what it is that LSU uh, brings to the college football landscape. One other question, one question I have before we switch gears is just on, on Joe Burrow. I guess, you know, I guess it's a two-part mm-hmm. question. One is, you know, do you think he had the greatest individual season ever um, from, from, a, from a player's perspective, from college football? And then the second question is, uh, kind of talk to us about what Joe Burrow now will be in Baton Rouge or in Louisiana, in the state of Louisiana. What will his life look like down there for you know as long as he's as long as he lives? Uh, number one, I, I think he has, and that you know, all due respect to Cam Newton, all due respect to Tim Tebow, all due respect to a lot of guys who have fantastic individual seasons. I've never seen anything like this, mm-hmm. and that's just based on the numbers. I've never seen any. Thing like this, Joe never had a bad game this year. Yeah, he never had a bad game, and he didn't even complete like seventy-seven percent of his passes or something like 77% that. Seventy-seven percent of his passes. I mean, sixty-two days. This, yeah. like the, the Joe games this year went from good, great to are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, like those are the three he never had. And any, it seemed any. like the bigger the game, the bigger he played too. The, the 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 last four teams that we played, which were the ACC champ, the uh, Big Twelve champ, and the SEC East champ, the last four that supposed to be the toughest, we beat those guys by twenty points a game. Yeah. So, it, it, like Joe, it, yeah. So by far, that is the that's the best season um, I've ever seen, that's and good. it's difficult to put into words how easy uh, Joe Burrow's life in Baton Rouge will be. In the near future, I mean, Jerry Donardo can still come to Baton Rouge just for getting just for being Florida. Jerry Donardo can still come to Baton Rouge and like and get love. Joe Burrow has done something that no Tiger has ever come close to doing. Mm. It, and it's it's funny because we thought that we've had this guy before, right? This singularly transcendent player that was going to open up all kinds of different things like that. It's never really the way that we run, the way that we won. Right. We thought that Leonard, Leonard Fournette was this guy. Right. We did. Um, but for Joe now, whatever he wants to do, literally 20, 30 years from now, if Joe Burrow, after his NFL career is over, decides he wants to be governor of Louisiana, tough to beat. Seriously. <laughs> right. no jokes, all jokes aside, yeah. tough to beat. I mean, the last quarterback so, that I that I've seen like that and is is what Vince Young did at Texas, and I, I've gotten a glimpse into how he's treated when he goes back to Austin. Right, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for Joe. Exactly the same thing. So you know, yeah. I, I couldn't be prouder of the guys. Like watching all of their, watching all the individual storylines and everything that everyone's been through. Um, yeah, I'm I'm just elated that they were able to get it done. Man. Yeah, no, and, and congratulate congratulations to you guys. Obviously, you know we're Ohio State fans, and you know we love Joe Burrow too. So, you know, obviously that's LSU's mm-hmm. championship, but we definitely feel, um, you know, connected to it in some way, shape, or form. But I want to switch gears um, and talk and talk some hip hop, right? Because you know, there's been a sure. lot of kind of you know different artists coming out, old and new, with different statements about about hip hop right now. And you know, obviously we're all avid hip hop fans. One of the things that Tory Lanez had said was that rap is in a horrible place. Uh, Pete Rock had also said something kind of similar to that. Part of it is because they're saying that they feel like everything that you hear now sounds the same and there's no, you know, no one's creating anything new, which I don't necessarily agree with. But I did want to get your perspective on that um, as it pertains to hip hop and the current state of hip hop right now. Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, 
Tori and Peter both guys who I have a lot of respect for. It's very difficult not to respect Tori Lanez. He just does and says whatever he wants to do and puts out great music. So that's sort of the uh, epitome of what a rapper is supposed to be, I think, or what a performance uh, or what an artist is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, but when you say the music's in a horrible place because everything sounds the same, uh, I think it's important for people to gauge now when you say everything sounds the same, what's the source of the sound? Mm -hmm. it, it, you have to, to me, you have to kind of, um, you kind of have to identify that because everything certainly doesn't sound the same. Now, if you say everything on the radio sounds the same or everything that goes viral sounds the same, um, those are two different things. Everything that's in hit, a hit sounds the same. That's different. Um, I would even argue that though. I would say that Lizzo doesn't sound like Roddy Rich. The baby doesn't sound like Lil Baby. Mm -hmm. They don't. Right. Like they, like these these people don't. Now there's a specific repetitive, <laughs> melody heavy genre of hip hop that people are into. But really, throughout the course of the music, even at its height, they've all they've always been parts of hip hop and aspects of the music subgenres of the music that have been dominant on radio. That's right. nothing new. I think you have right now, because of streaming, because of the the fan base of the music ability to compartmentalize what it is that they're listening to, uh, more diversity than ever, and more acts that are able to eat being diverse than ever. So I don't agree with Tori or with Well, I think I think part of their criticism is is specifically when they say it all sounds the same. Think digging a little deeper i think we're in error we we've listened to it all i like some of the new artists um and i'm definitely not oh it, it all sucks but one thing that's the melody part of it and then you listen to some of the lyrics on in some of these songs and literally they aren't even saying things that are cohesive but it sounds good um and i think that might be specifically with pete rock some of his criticism or some of his criticism is coming from well i mean look yeah, I, I can understand that, but... <laughs> it's a fundamental core to part me, of hip-hop. Yeah, but I don't... To, to me, the slang and all that stuff right now, what I would say is there is a tendency now with the internet to have more homogeny and things than ever before, right? Mm -hmm. You know, people know what you've addressed or what you've like that, but, I mean, when West Coast hip-hop was, was, was dominant, right, they looked and talked a lot, a lot alike. There were guys that, I mean, when, when G-Funk came, and G-Funk was everywhere, right? G-Funk was a very specific-sounding type of music, and it had a run where that was what you heard on the radio from Gangster Rap, you know what I'm saying? Um, so to me personally, I, I listen, I also, I think it's a little lazy sometimes. Like, it, does Gunner sound like Thug to me? No, they don't. They sound different. That, I mean, the, I, I get that the music in and of itself is melody heavy and it sounds like the same too, but those two guys, I can easily tell them apart and I get two different flavors from what it is that they put out. Well, let, let, me, so, ask, let, me, let me ask this too, because one of the things that V and I were talking about is kind of who controls the music industry, so to speak. And right now there are only three major labels, Universal, Sony, and Warner. And I think V did some research and found that, you know, they, they kind of control 65 to 70% of the global music industry. And, you know, one of the, I guess, when you have kind of a top-heavy dominant force like that, it seems as though you're going to kind of get 
I don't want to say cookie cutter, but there's a formula, right? This is business at the end of the day, right? And it's the goal for a lot of these people is to make money. It's not necessarily the influence of the lyrics or the music. And when you kind of so have a formula, all of them, when you concentrate that type of, of when you concentrate that type of control into that few of hands, you're always going to have issues, right? Yeah, but the but see the only the only I don't have any issue with that being uh, with that observation. I think that's probably astute. But the the issue I have with it is in some way acting as if there hasn't always been a tiny section of uh, of media that controlled hip hop. Mm-hmm. I mean, when Ye when when Ye came on the Breakfast Club um, a little while ago, he said something that people didn't really catch. It was like five, six years ago. He said, well, you, you said, Lucian Grange controlled half of the music industry. And because Ye was doing what Ye does, which is go crazy on everything, no one paid attention to that. I didn't even know who Lucian Grange was right. at that point. But then you look him up and you realize that's a fact. Yep. But the thing is, there have always been guys cast in those roles, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it was Lucian Grange of this generation or in the old generation, whether it was Jimmy Iovine or David Geffen or, or uh, what's your man at Arista? Um, uh, Clive, Clive Davis. Whoever Clive Davis. Mm-hmm. Clive Davis, yeah, like whoever it is. They've always been these guys. And here's the deal. Those guys are never black. Those guys are never brown. Yep. Those guys never would be anybody who would have a vested interest in the messaging that the music uh, gives to the youth. What they have an interest in is whether or not they can make good they can and successful music. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So and, and, what I, I'm not, I'm not saying that either one of the you know, people are bad people, but I'm saying that there are people who don't care about what your kids are listening to. Right. And I think uh, Lucian Grange's son has orchestrated the whole trippy red uh, six nine situation as well. I think. Yeah, were, he was the man behind that. Yeah, and and, and and that's that's the that's the question here for for us with social media and stuff. It's like there is an outlet here now where it's like the behavior of a six nine or a creepy red. There's almost no filter, and like when you're when you're talking about young kids who are trying to get into the hip hop industry now, there's so many other things that they have to pay attention to beyond whether or not it's good music. Um, and, I, and, and I think part of that, like you said, they don't have that responsibility, but should someone have a responsibility here in what's distributed? Because I'm looking, I just did some research on the numbers and they say that in the 80s when hip hop first came out, about 19% um, had some sort of mention of drug use or drug language in it. Now they say that it's closer to 90% of all the songs that are that are put out um, have that messaging in it and, and you're seeing guys like you know um dying from the 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 prescription pill epidemic is there a responsibility here um in what's distributed by anyone if it's not them no okay. it's not i mean like it, it would be the answer the actual answer is no it would be fantastic if there was it would be fantastic if we had people um in these positions that cared about it, that really wanted to, to 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 put stuff out there that didn't reinforce some of these things. Um, the responsibility is to to be honest with you, is on us as a culture of what we of what we accept. Because we we are going to dictate what it is that they lean into. Mm-hmm. This was a thing to me 
that I always, uh, that I actually learned from having worked at TMZ. So TMZ exists really for no reason, right? <laughs> they don't break any news. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's a fact. That's right. the truth. Like, like they, 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 they don't break any news. And this is, this is like, you know, me banging on my old shop. This is just a fact. They don't break any news that like means anything, right? Mm-hmm. They don't break any news that pushes anything forward. Every once in a while they do. Donald Sterling was an important story. Ray Rice was an important story as far as changing the landscape of, of domestic violence in, uh, in professional sports. Every once in a while they do. But most of the stories are for fun. Yep. Yeah. And, and they're not fun, but they're for fun. They're, for, they're because people care about celebrities. And they want to know what goes on after the studio session is over, after they say cut and all of that stuff. Right. Now, the situation is, you might ask someone, Harvey or whomever at TMZ, whether or not they feel like they have a responsibility not to put negative stuff out there. The, the only question, the only thing that they're going to come back with is an unavoidable sledgehammer of an answer. They're going to go, I have a responsibility to put out stuff that people care about. Right. So if you if you click on TMZ, if you watch the show, if you engage into that, you're giving them the mandate to continue to do it. Mm-hmm. And while it would be nice if someone was altruistic that sat at the top of something and protected you from yourself, that's just not the way the world works. Right. Yeah. So so, so let me if, ask if, 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 if go, go ahead, my bad. Yeah, no, so I want to ask yeah. a question about that too because you know, when you when, like when V just said he just gave the statistics on kind of um, you know like how drug messaging has has seeped into hip hop. Do you feel like that's kind of a reflection of basically then of what's happening in, in society as a whole, and that's the reason why, and that people are responding to it, or do you feel like it's something that's actually more pervasive in the culture? Well, if we're gonna do chicken egg with the opioid epidemic, I definitely don't think that hip hop is responsible. Right. So. I'll just put that out there. I think years and years, I think decades and decades of prescription drug abuse and a sort of the overprescribing of America and doctors' relationship with pharmaceutical companies, I think we have all that to blame for what's going on in America right now as far as the opioid crisis. Even in Ohio, it's a huge um, crisis. People are dying left and right off, off the, the opioids. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I, my, I, think, my, I don't think that rap music... My only put my only pushback to that is this, and and traditionally I agree with you, but hip hop does drive what's cool, right? And the messaging in the music has has become more pervasive, and there are less filters on who gets the content now with technology, right? Like any kid who's ten years old, like I have a ten year old nephew whose favorite art artist is um, I don't even know how to say his name XXX Tentacion I still haven't learned how to say his name call him triple X triple X Tentacion but this is you know they're being exposed to it like and like you said it may not be the responsibility of the artist but we do have a problem here and that things aren't filtered the same way as they were before and you're talking about young minds who are who are definitely being influenced and who look to hip-hop for what's cool hearing these messages from their favorite artists kind of normalizes it as well, right? Like, specifically within the audience of people who listen to hip-hop. That's my only kind of pushback to you. Obviously, the, the epidemic is much bigger than 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 just hip-hop. Right. So, Chronic drops like 91 or 92, right? I'm probably 92. I was 12. I heard the whole album mm-hmm. multiple times. Had it. I don't think my parents knew what was on the chronic. 
I think they came to find out what was on it. Right. I don't think like I I, I don't know. For me personally, um, access to music and ac- ease of access to these things is obviously uh, at an all time high, without a doubt. However, I think pervasive uh, sort of messages and themes in music has been something that we've been talking about going on 30 or 40 years. My point about the opioid crisis or any of these things specifically is like, I remember being in college and guys sipping lean, right? Mm -hmm. Guys on promethazine, guys on doing that. They have been doing that for 20 years in Texas and West Louisiana and South Louisiana before it made it Oh, yeah, before it got to the record, before it was widespread enough to make it to the record. It had been in Houston itself for so long um, before it went, before 3-6 Mafia had sipping on the scissors and all of that stuff like that. But the reality behind that is that people were actually doing it. They didn't start doing it because rappers started doing it. Now, they probably started doing it more. Mm-hmm. Hip-hop would spread something more more than anything, but you can't blame hip-hop for, for the opioid crisis or anything else. Future probably was really popping to it. Well, Future, Future came out and said he didn't even do the drugs that he talks about. Yeah. I don't know if that if he was just bullshit capping or what, but like that's just whack to me too, you know? Well, I mean, that's that's horrible, but 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 to me, when I, when I look at this, what I would say is uh, the people that are consuming this stuff, like when you when you when you start to see and it's not the responsibility is everybody's to share. Yeah. Everyone's to share. Of course there's responsibility on even an organization like I described before. But I'm telling you this. It is an undefeatable behemoth unless people's sensibilities change. Yeah. I agree with that's you. That's a that's 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 fact right there. That's facts. So that and that that that's the and so when 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 uh, Juice World dies, or when Pete dies, or when you know, or we, we lose Mac, or any of these guys, the question isn't how long are they going to keep shoving this music down our throats. The question is, is how long are we going to opt into this drug culture? So it's and basically like it's not a big deal. so. It's basically just an economics thing. At the end of the day, capitalism, free market capitalism thing. It's literally dollars and cents. It's what makes money. You know, is really going to be what drives everything. At the end of the day. And you can't really expect anyone to have any entity to have any moral obligation greater than the dollar, so long as they're not doing anything illegal. Is that kind of is that kind of how you view this thing at the end of the day? Well, I mean, but definitely like that with everything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They Hollywood tried to make great superhero movies literally fifty years, right? And they got it right two or three times. Batman, the first Batman, mm-hmm. the first Superman, blah 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 blah. Blade comes along in the late nineties. And it's a hit movie based off a character that nobody else heard from. Everybody perks up. Spider-Man comes and the MCU comes. Now, you can't have a huge, huge blockbuster film without somebody flying in the damn movie. So they are are going to copy that and continue to make those movies if the audience says we want original stories. Until they say that we want that. And that's the same thing with this. Like the The only difference between that and this is nobody dies because Iron Man flies. Right. And in this and in this situation, these messages in this music, what I would what I would be interested in is 
just talking to some of these brothers, right? And putting them close in close proximity to what they're involved in. Do you know that just like your homie died from popping pills, it's like kids out here that they're dead for real, dog. Like yeah. they've got they're right. like it's not a joke, like they're really dead. Right. So um but the corporations we just can't we can't count on them to be anything other than money making machines. They exist to make money. They have that that's all they do. So Yeah. yeah. No, man, this is this is really good. And this is a conversation obviously we're gonna continue to have on this podcast because I think there's right so many different ways to flush it out. Uh definitely thank you for joining us today. Make sure you guys check him out. The Red Pill Podcast. Guys, you got one question before you go? One yeah. question before you go? Yeah. Oh, one, gosh. one, one oh, question gosh. before you go. Yeah. It's just, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not, no, no. Okay. Because let me tell you what happened. Let me tell you what happened. <laughs> I was so nervous about the game on Sunday uh-huh. that I wouldn't walk on any line. Okay. Uh-huh. I wouldn't, I was, I was, my OCD was in full effect. And I made a promise to God. I said, if we win, I'm not going I, I, like, I promise you, just give us the victory. And I won't be an asshole about it. Right. <laughs> not, I, you, know, you, you know what I mean? If not, I've been going crazy. Right. What I'm, uh, me, me and Mecca had a conversation about uh, um, uh, uh, Clemson versus Ohio State and Ohio State. I have a two-part question for you guys. Number one, do you guys expect Ohio State to be in the national championship game next year? That's the first question. Number two is, and I know this is tough, if LSU had played Ohio State, in the national championship game, I want a final score from each of you. You don't have to pick a winner. <laughs> wow, you're putting us on the spot. RV, you go first. You don't have to. You you don't have to pick a winner. I just want a final score. Ohio State will be in the national championship game next year. Uh, I think what happened okay. to them is is the reason that they will be. Any any doubt um, was eliminated after what happened to them and how the players feel about what happened to them. So that's the answer to the first part of the question. The second question, to be to be quite honest, I think it would have been an incredible matchup. RDBs against your receivers, Burrow, the familiarity, our offense versus your defense. I think it would have been a close game, and honestly, it would have been a toss-up. But obviously, I'm going to pick Ohio State, right? But I think it would have been a right. very, very compelling game and a better game than Clemson. Yeah, I'll say uh, yeah. To, to, the, to your first question, I think Ohio State will be in the, in the championship next year. When you just look at the, it's not just because I'm an Ohio State homer. It's like looking at the entire landscape. You know who are the threats, right? Alabama lost to a, and they're kind of you know we're a typical threat. Clemson, I feel like we're better than them already. So even though they have guys coming back, they have a lot of guys leaving. I feel like Ohio State is better than them. That's probably going to be the number one competition. Then you look at LSU. You know they're losing Joe Brady and they're losing Burrow. Not to say they won't be good, but you when you just look at the landscape and then you say Justin Fields is will be will be the number will be the number seven or eighteen in the country next year. Right, right. And so so when you look at the at the at the top, it's like okay, who is really who's bringing guys who's bringing guys back? You know who has the pedigree, who has the you know championship type of DNA and all that type of stuff. And Ohio State is one of the few teams that you could really mention up there. So that's number one. And then number two. I, I agree with V. I think it would have been a much better and much closer game. Uh, I honestly cannot say who would have won that game. I know you didn't ask me that. But I think the game, the score would have been probably, you know, 38-35 type thing. Uh, I don't think that mm-hmm. – I think, you know, Ohio State would have been able to get a few more stops than, than Clemson. 
Uh, and right. you know, but I don't think you can stop anyone can stop Joe Burrow. I just don't. I don't think you can stop him. It's kind of like when you were guarding Michael Jordan. If he got twenty seven points, he was in the zone. This- that was an amazing defensive game. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like that. That's kind of how um, I view LSU. So I wish so to God. I feel like in in certain ways, I feel like college football fans got quote unquote cheated out of the best possible national championship game, which I think would have been that. But, you know, it doesn't matter. For an LSU fan, I would be like, whatever, you know. Um, and, you know, all power I mean, to me, To me, personally, I ask the question because the next year, the national championship game is going to be a better game. And it's going to be Ohio State versus Clemson. The Fields having a whole a whole year in the offense, uh, a whole two years or whatever in the offense and being totally healthy. Yeah. Um, and Trevor Lawrence with the opportunity – not not trying to be picky. Yeah. I'm not Trevor Lawrence at this point in his career is slightly overrated to me. You're not the and, first person and, to say that. And so and so I think a lot's gonna be on the line for him in a legacy situation, but I expect both of those teams to get a national championship game next year. That's all I'm saying. But Trevor Lawrence Trevor Lawrence is not the best quarterback we played all year. Yeah. He's not. If you look like, at if, you, know, if, you, if you look at the landscape of college football, I think it's it's hard to like Ohio State and Clemson will be one and two, right? I mean, I don't, I'm not, my maybe I'm missing someone. Um, I mean, Oklahoma, no, I mean, Bama, Oregon, Bama will be bad. Like will be bad. Bama. Bama a lot of good teams, but I think, I think just just returning those guys at quarterback. Yes, that's the thing. That's the key. Like returning, returning those, returning those guys at quarterback is like that's that's the thing. Like nobody else is nobody else in the country is going to be able to have to to say that that they that they're they're returning their ace. Their Heisman Trophy guy at the QB position, so right. that's a huge advantage. So I expect you guys to be back. Right, I appreciate it. Well, look, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll talk more about this. And actually, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, man. The, this season never ends. There's always stuff going on in the off season, and and we're going to bring you back in also on this hip hop conversation. Like I said, it's going to be an ongoing thing for us because we obviously care about it deeply and want to make sure you know when people say it's in trouble you know that, that like you know it makes me feel like i got punched in the face a little bit because i know we have you know even if it's just a small part we have something to do with it so once again thanks to van latham for joining us on the pilot boys podcast make sure you check out his podcast the red pill it's available everywhere and follow him on social media at van latham that's what got me here. It's what I'm living for. But I ain't stopping here. I, I put my city on. So let a hater hate. It's for my people, though. In the Buckeye State. You're listening to the Pilot Boys podcast. We are here with our resident college football insider, former Ohio statewide receivers coach, and now podcast host, Zach Smith. Welcome to the show. Always a pleasure. Zach, what's up, man? Nothing. Just hanging out. Season's over. Yeah, so the season's over. And, you know, obviously LSU uh, beat Clemson in the national championship game. It was a pretty dominant performance. You look at the story kind of of Joe Burrow, right? It's almost like one of those stories that's out of a movie, right? A kid from a small town goes to maybe his dream college. Things don't work out. He transfers and, you know, not in a desperate kind of attempt to, to show his talent. Lands in the 
perfect situation for him, goes on and wins the Heisman Trophy, has an unbelievable season and wins the national championship. It's, it's, it's a great story. And for Ohio State fans, obviously, uh, we're proud of Joe Burrow. Uh, and, you know, so, but one of the questions I think, you know, more important than, you know, them winning the game and all that type of stuff is what does this mean historically, right? Because a lot of people are saying two things. One, that um, Joe Burrow just had the greatest individual season ever of any player ever in the history of college football. And then the other thing people are saying is that LSU just had the greatest season as a team uh, in the history of, of yeah. college football. And I want to get your thoughts on that. Um, one quick quick note, some people were talking about, in, in terms of who had the best season ever, uh, I saw some people arguing about it on Twitter, and people came with the My- 2001 Miami team. And they're like, look, that, that 2001 Miami team was better. They were pretty much just as good offensively, but way better defensively. They only gave up 9.8 points a game for the season, and I think LSU gave up close to 22 points. So what you know? How how do you see this historically in terms of this win for LSU? Yeah, I think uh, what's lost in the shuffle is is how good was LSU on defense when it mattered, mm. right? At the end of the year, their last four weeks, they were one of the better defensive teams in the country. Now you can't say that for the whole year. I mean, giving up six hundred plus yards to right. Ole Miss, and so they weren't as dominant on defense as let's say Miami, like you said, the O one Miami team, or mm. even. Uh, the 02 Ohio State team mm-hmm. or the the 08 Florida team. I mean, you could go through down the list. The the four, 15 Ohio State team, 14 15, um, would definitely be in the conversation as well. Sure. Uh, but what they had that those teams didn't have was Joe Burrow. Yeah. And you look back at 01 Miami, 02 Ohio State, all those teams. And no matter what, if you like JT Barrett or, or Cardale, that none of them played like Joe Burrow. Right. Right. And right. so, I it's 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 you know it's a it's an argument that anyone could have, and there's no right answer, but yeah. they were ridiculous. And yeah. I think you you have particularly good insight here because, you know, Joe came to Ohio State as a yeah. freshman, not the Joe Burrow that is today. What would you say are the biggest differences you see in his talent today from, from the guy that you saw in practice all the time at Ohio State? I mean, I think it just was confidence. Confidence in the system, confidence in his abilities. He obviously worked his ass off to to improve as a passer, to improve offensive knowledge. But um, I was talking to a, a college football coach yesterday about it. It's like he was making throws that it was almost like that's a covered this covered route. That's a you know the guys on the tick marks almost out of bounds. Like it's just poor fundamental football, and this freak of nature goes up and makes a catch. Yeah, every time. Yeah, I mean the right. ball's in the air. Those kids at LSU, the receivers, were coming down with it. Yeah, I mean you got yeah. Randy Moss's kid as your tight end. Right. <laughs> you got the Bolitnikoff Award winner, Justin yeah. Jefferson. I mean yeah. Terrence. I mean just stupid. Yeah, on yeah. the perimeter. Right. It's like that'd be nice. So let me ask. <laughs> yeah. well, well, let me ask this because this is one of the kind of things that you see on social media a lot, particularly amongst. Ohio State fans, do you believe, I mean, it's hard to predict, right? But do you believe if Joe Burrow had stayed and was able to get developed under Ryan Day that we would have seen a similar output? I believe that, but I don't know, I mean, if that's if that's true. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he, that was definitely the trajectory. He just wanted to play right away. Yeah. And so it was between him and Dwayne, and, and it wasn't even like Dwayne won the job. Joe got hurt, and Dwayne might, might have had the slight edge. There was no winner yet, right. and Joe was like, I don't want to risk it, and so yeah. he left. Yeah. And it, um, But – Make people people want to make it like people at Ohio State didn't think he would be a great player. Right, right. I mean, he he got recruited as 
the next Alex Smith. That was the selling point to Urban. Tom Herman went down and said, listen, I'm telling you, I found Alex Smith. This yeah. kid is ridiculous. Right. He's going to be the number one overall pick in the draft, underrated guy. That was the storyline coming into Ohio State. Mm. Yeah. And then he goes out, you know, and he, he was a young kid that was developmental. He needed to develop. Right. And he did. And obviously you watched the end result of it when he gets with links up with a guy as good as Joe Brady. And now here we are. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see how much that development mattered because you know you brought up Dwayne Haskins even when we saw him get some playing time it seemed like Joe was an overall better fit for what Ohio State oh for was sure trying to do which was run and and throw the ball because Dwayne is is great at many things but running the ball isn't one of them <laughs> no not at all so um I guess you know moving moving past that where do you see him as a as a NFL quarterback now that he's gone to LSU had the what some people are saying is the greatest season. Is he the surefire number one pick? Do you think from what you've seen that, you know, he's quarterbacks are hard to project, but he's about as sure of a thing at the next level. I mean, you look at the quarterback position and the intangibles that you look for. I think he is. Um, he's certainly not going to be a precision passer that's just dicing people up by putting it on right shoulders instead of left shoulders. And he's not that. He's not a bad passer. He doesn't, he's not inaccurate, but he's not going to be. Uh, Peyton Manning. He's not going to be Tom Brady just, just, I mean, putting the ball exactly where Drew Brees. It, mm-hmm. I think he's going to be more of a Russell Wilson, more of a, you know, a, a almost, I don't want to say Brett Favre, but a guy that just has that fire, that that, that passion. Yeah, yeah that, that competitive nature. And is going to go in there and win games. Yeah. So I, I, I think he's going to be the number one overall pick, but I don't think he's this dominant passer at that level, like people might try to project him to be. Right. Last question, too. Well, I guess, first of all, do you think it was the, the greatest individual season ever that you've seen? Or? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, I, when I broke it down, I watched, I will say, I rewatched half of their season and really looked hard at the analytics. And it was the first time ever in my career that I, I went on, even, even on my show, and I said, I don't know what is a good option to try to stop this kid. I really don't. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about playing zone coverage, playing man coverage, like, the only thing I could come up with was simulating pressures, making, yeah. ma- getting pressure on him somehow without blitzing, because mm. he's he's better when he's blitzed. Yeah, yeah. I mean he's ridiculous. He's ridiculous. I mean he he completed seventy percent of his passes when he was blitzed against Clemson, and completed fifty six percent when he wasn't blitzed. Wow. wow. So it's like wow. you're gonna blitz him. Yeah. He's he's better. <laughs> right. Don't do that. <laughs> right. yeah. So then it's like, all right, what do you do? Sit in zone coverage. Right. Oh God, yeah. he's gonna kill you. Yeah. So I guess the last the last question then is you know for Ohio State fans. I think one of the things that Ohio State fans want to believe is that Ohio State was the best team in the country this year. And obviously, the way the Clemson game ended, we feel like we got robbed and we feel like we, we wish we had that chance. How do you think Ohio State would have matched up against LSU in a national t- title game? Um, I, th- I think that uh, you'd have had the best chance at slowing Joe Burrow down because Ohio State had the personnel to play man mm-hmm. against those receivers. Now, I'm not saying they would have like shut them down. Right. But they could have. Mm-hmm. Jeff Okuda could have played man on those kids and he's right. going to do it in the NFL. I mean, they did it against Clemson's they receivers. Did, they did it against Clemson's receivers. It, yeah. Um and, and the, the the pass rush would have been completely different. Um I think that They could have rushed 3 probably and, and Right. They, they could they could have rushed 4 and got home. Yeah. Is the, four, the yeah. is the moral of the story. Right. And and then offensively I think it would have been really a battle. Yeah. I I I think that that LSU's deficiencies would have uh been kind of an even match for Ohio State offensively. Right, uh, I think it would have been a good game. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that. Yeah, you I'm could... not going to sit here and say that definitively, definitively that Ohio State would have won. But I do think the only team probably that I could have given a real chance to is Ohio State. And I do think 
you know, to some degree, college football ch- fans were cheated out of th- that opportunity. Yeah. If I'm an LSU fan, I'm like, fuck you. We we I don't 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 tell me anything, yeah, right? right? Like we won, we won the SEC, we went undefeated. Yeah. We it's like it. when we, it's yeah. like when we listen to Miami fans talk about 2002. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, we won. But, but, this, but this is but this is even this is even worse because it's like. LSU didn't even play. LSU just beat the team that beat Ohio uh, State by like twenty. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like I don't care what would have happened. Yeah, like, right. Be quiet. So you would you if you would have squeaked out a win, you would have got beat by twenty right. points. Yeah, like, what do you mean? That's what yeah. they're saying. So yeah. we'll, we'll never know. But um, I guess I guess we'll get you out of here on this. You know, talking about you know now that the season is over, moving forward to twenty twenty, Joe Brady is actually leaving LSU. Um, Joe Burrow's leaving LSU. I don't really see them as a threat. A couple of those receivers are leaving too. Receivers are leaving. I don't really see that as a threat next year. As an Ohio State fan looking forward to 2020, how how should you feel? Yeah, I mean, I think you should feel as good as you felt going into a year ever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're loaded everywhere. Yeah. They really are. I mean, there's some there'll be some question marks in the secondary. There'll be some uh, question marks on the D line. Um, but fortunately, those are the two positions, especially when Kerry Combs, finally, they can announce that he's a freaking secondary coach. My God, it's like right. it's like the Titans are going to... Hey, it'll be great if he wins a Super Bowl. Right? <laughs> if they win a Super Bowl, then he, what if he's like, I want to do that again? <laughs> right, right. It changes mine. But uh, those are the two positions that have, especially with Kerry returning, uh, have been developed probably better than any other position. So right. you have to feel, feel really good. Yeah. Ultimately, you got your quarterback coming back. Um, you got your offensive line mo- for the most part coming back. I think it's the it's running back and, and secondary. Yeah, it's a two team. It looks like it's a two team race next year, right? Clemson, Ohio State, probably are the most yeah, loaded cer- teams. Certainly now, right okay. now it is. I mean, you you can never count Alabama out. You can you know the, there'll be uh, there'll be other teams that obviously pop, pop up, up, but those yeah. are, those are going to be the two front runners for sure. And, right. and one last question that I have now that you mentioned Kerry Coombs, Mike Vrabel is a guy that you worked with. What he's doing in the NFL playoffs is amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you guys see this, that this was his trajectory and where he was going to head? Yeah, I really do, because Mike Vrabel was one of those guys that was, I mean, he's really smart. And he's he's one of yeah. those guys that like book smarts and street smarts. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's, always he, got that he's savvy as shit, tough as shit, like quick witted. Yeah. Like you never wanted to talk shit to him right. because he was going to just, get, he was going to just kill you. Yeah. Because, and, and so I really look at that more than anything when I think about a CEO, especially at that league. Yeah. Like he's a guy that can look at a guy and say, "Listen, I was a Pro Bowler. I yeah. played for the Patriots. Yeah. I, I know what a culture is supposed to look like." Right. And he also didn't give a shit. Yeah, it's not yeah. like it's not like some coach that goes to coach millionaires. He's like, "Bitch, I'm a millionaire too. Right. Shut the hell up. <laughs> right. Sit down, and right. here's what you need to do." Yeah, right. he just he's right. got that that presence. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, now I, I never would have saw this coming like like that. I mean, he was a D line coach, went to the NFL. All of a sudden, he's getting named for head coaching positions, and I was like, "Holy shit!" I right. mean, he was playing chess with with Bill Belichick and winning. Like, yeah, that game was amazing, amazing. to watch. And he was a he was a football coach for like three years, right. four yeah. years. Right. Yeah. But he he has it for sure. Okay. Yeah. No, it's a it's a it's amazing to watch. Obviously, as a, as you know, Buckeye fans, it's amazing to watch what they're doing. We're rooting for him and obviously Kerry Coombs. And we do hope soon Kerry Coombs gets the na- gets announced as That's defensive right. coordinator, right? He's gonna be not just secondary coach. No, he'll be, be he'll be some form, you know, you know how those titles assistant, work. Assistant, yeah, co, assistant, something, yeah. but he'll definitely have a title with that, it. Right. Or else That's he ain't exciting. coming. That's <laughs> that, exciting. And that, that'll be big. That'll be big for Buckeyes fans. Anyway, Zach, thank you for joining us on the Pilot Boys podcast. Obviously always good insight. Make sure you guys check out his podcast, Menace to Sports. It's available everywhere. That's all we have for today's show. Big thanks to our guests, Mike Hill, Van Lathan, and Zach Smith. Thanks to everybody for listening. Don't forget, sharing is caring. Subscribe to the Pilot Boys podcast on Apple, Spotify, Patreon, and YouTube. And please follow us on social media at Pilot Boys Pod on Twitter 
and at Pilot Boys Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to follow the hosts on Twitter. I'm at Mechadon Music, and V is at Viswant. And always remember, be you. You is fly. Pilot Boys out! Pilot Boys, we get on up.